Let's just get the bad news out of the way right off the bat. So the results, kinder, first and second grade, we do see, again, a year-over-year drop from last year to this year. Um, These are not the same kids. They are different kids, but obviously we want to see the trend uh, moving upwards. This is Dallas Independent School District Assistant Superintendent of Early Learning, Derek Little, stating the obvious. And the trend he's describing is year-end I-Station test results, an assessment that's meant to track grade-level readiness in reading, writing, and math. Now, this trend is not what many would consider to be statistically significant. The difference across each grade level is within 5%. Second grade, in particular, saw only eight fewer students ready for the next level. Still, Any child's life is more significant than a statistic. So what happened? Uh, We made some direct program changes uh, last school year, which are factors in the data. We also continue to see enrollment impacts to the data. And we're going to share something which is going to be new to all of us, which is teacher mobility data in kinder first and second grade, which which is having an impact here as well. And much like I'll try to do over the next half hour, The data tells a pretty clear story. There's typically about half of our teachers in first grade this year, according to this data, would not be teaching first grade in the district next year. We see really high mobility rates of our teachers when we compare whether they stay within the same grade level year over year. I've shared class data with you that show that teachers who were in the pre-K classroom for two years had higher class scores than pre-K teachers who were in the classroom for one year, which was the first indication that this may matter. But this is the first time we've really been able to dig in and look at this mobility data by grade level. The irony of these findings is that often this teacher mobility can be traced to a preoccupation with testing. Teachers that are identified as effective quickly get moved up to the third grade, where the state-administered STAR tests begin. But it proves to be a short-sighted strategy when even one year of experience in kindergarten accounted for a 9% difference in I-Station scores, which means a greater readiness for the primary grades. So what does this mean moving forward? Great question, Derek. For commit, identifying best practices and spreading what works are two key elements of our mission. In other words, I'm not here to criticize the incredibly difficult work that Assistant Superintendent Little and his colleagues do. That's why we're getting the bad news out of the way first. You just have to go a few minutes further into the same board briefing to catch a glimpse of something to be truly excited about. What we're also seeing, however, year over year, is the places where we have strict adherence to the early learning model. We're actually seeing year over year improvements in kindergarten readiness. And nowhere is that improvement greater than at N.W. Harley Early Education Center in the historic 10th Street neighborhood of Oak Cliff. From last year to this one, the number of students considered kindergarten ready at the end of pre-K increased by 14%. That is statistically significant. It's also 23 kids. Which is why the school was a popular topic of conversation around the DISD Board of Trustees. Harley. 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 What makes it so special? Another excellent question, this time from school board trustee Joyce Foreman. What is so special about this school? Certainly, there's a great data set out there somewhere that I can spend the rest of this episode explaining. 
We have trampolines in the hallway. If anybody feels busy or needs to bounce or do anything like that in the classroom, just come out and bounce, burn some energy out, and then come back in. Then again, maybe this is about more than just test scores. I'm Joshua Kumler, and this is The Miseducation of Dallas County, powered by Commit. at a place for such a time as this. And so whatever that place is, that's why I'm there. This is Angelique Brown, principal of N.W. Harley. I was new to teach uh, at three. You asked me what I was going to be when I grew up. I was going to teach. I would line my dolls up in my room and and, uh, get textbooks or books and read and try and show them. And all the way through, if you get my high school yearbook from Kimball, and my paragraph is about, you know, I'm going to change the world. I want to teach. She studied education at the University of Texas and then came back to the school district she was raised in to teach third grade at the Paul Dunbar Learning Center. Never anticipated coming into this principal chair, always wanting to do the the education side. But right around that time, an interesting thing started happening with the principalship. It started shifting from paperwork and bureaucracy and discipline to more instruction. And so I started saying, wait a minute, I might kind of like to do that. So she took an opportunity offered to her by the school district to intern as an assistant principal while completing a master's program, even though she already had one graduate degree under her belt. For Principal Brown, the term lifelong learner is an understatement. And her eventual assignment was yet another chance to grow. When I got time for my assistant principalship to come, they put me in middle school. I was like, uh, middle what? <laughs> I haven't been in middle school since I was in middle school. I don't, I don't know anything about middle school. But it was the first year that the district was transitioning um, sixth graders to middle school. And so they said they needed somebody with elementary background to help because the sixth graders were running the middle school. The eighth graders were like, get these little things away from me. What are we going to do? And all the middle school teachers didn't know what to do. They were just like, we need somebody with an elementary background to come and help. A.P. Brown spent a few years getting the sixth graders in check and then spent one year as the senior class administrator at Sunset High School, at the time the second largest school in the district. But all these experiences only reinforced her desire to return to early learning. I'd seen the holes and the gaps from middle and high school. And so I began to want to make my transition back down. And so after that year, um, I went into my official principalship. This school, uh, I've been following the reopening of it. Uh, that it, you know, closed down and then it was going to reopen as an early childhood center. And I remember, you know, reading the paper and I said, that's my job. That's a dream job for me. I love that. It was a dream job not only because of her passion for early childhood education. It also happened to be the same school her mother was principal of years ago. A lot of my college time, a lot of the classes that you had to observe teaching and learning, I observed right here in this building. And so when the opportunity arose to be able to come and lead and create a vision from scratch, uh, I jumped at it. To shape something, I mean, it's any principal's dream job to be able to shape it from the beginning and shape it from the start. And so that's how I ended up here at, at Harley. 
So what did Principal Brown do with her newfound freedom to shape a school from scratch? As it turns out, she allowed it to shape her. We had a lot of uh, misconceptions um, about early learning and about early childhood that we weren't willing to let go. We knew these things were tried and true and they would work. And, you know, we, we were masters at this. You know, I had a master's degree in reading and I just knew everything. And we got in here and we had to pump the brakes. And kind of the evolution of the vision started with our psychologist. Her name is Viva Lane. So this is actually my 42nd year in public mental health in Dallas County. This is Viva Lane. And I'm a licensed specialist in school psychology with the Department of Psychological and Social Services with Dallas ISD. And she started going into the classrooms and visiting in there. And I started seeing kids breathing and stuff. I was like, what are these kids doing? We got work to do. Why are y'all breathing? We don't have time for that. No one has time for that, you know? And so I started listening to her a little more. And she started telling me about the brain. If you tuck in your thumb into your palm and close your fingers over it and put your two hands together, that mass is about the size of your brain. Feel free to try this at home if you're more of a kinesthetic than an auditory learner. I add the brainstem to it. Your arm. Which has two responses. A sympathetic response, where it speeds up your heart and your breathing to prepare you to fight, run away, or freeze. And a parasympathetic system that calms the body and calms the, all the physiological responses. Deep in the middle of the brain are two important players, amygdala. Your thumb. The brain security guard, because it's directing the traffic in the brain up to the thinking mind or down to the brain's parasympathetic or sympathetic, depending on whether it perceives that it is safe and loved. Right next to it, the brain's hippocampus. The other thumb. Tends to remember all that. And then, of course, it's all covered up with the cortex. Your other fingers. The prefrontal cortex is what we think is responsible for most of our thinking. So when something frightens us, our thinking mind is knocked offline because our amygdala is pouring the neurotransmitters of stress, cortisol, adrenaline, glucocorticoids, to the sympathetic system saying, run for your life, fight the beast, or freeze and hope they don't see you. And the prefrontal cortex is offline by some measurements for about a minute and a half. But breathing deep into the belly is what calms that prefrontal cortex down and the amygdala and the whole brain. And then you can start thinking again. So, you know, if we're feeling a lot of emotion, we're not thinking. So I said, ah, okay. So when a child is crawling under the table, me yelling, get it from under the table, get it from under the table is not the best solution because they're not really paying me too much attention. Really understanding that I can't get to the content until I've captured that heart. We all come to life every morning with, am I safe? Am I loved? School, we can call it respect. What can I learn? So the reverse of that is if I'm not feeling safe, 
and I'm not feeling respected. I am so stirred up inside that I can't learn. And I sat in there and shifted everything and really wanted to come out and apologize to some of my former students. I was like, this is amazing. And so we kind of started shifting our thinking and realizing that the word discipline comes from the same word as teach. And so that's what discipline is. It means to teach. It's not to punish. And so it is our role and responsibility to teach those things. There is an enormous amount of research out there on mindfulness practices, specifically breathing, and what it benefits. I mean, who knew that we carried on board such a powerful resource to calm our mind when we're mad or sad or scared? We didn't have referrals. We didn't have suspensions. We still had, you know, kids being kids, but they were being kids. And I started saying she might be on to something. I have to say Principal Brown has taken it and run with it. She has gotten more training for her staff, more resources to get everybody on board with children, you know, knowing that they can help themselves and that they do have agency and the ability to be amazed by their own learning. What we noticed, our kids outperformed the district. I believe our reading was at 86% of them were at the 40th percentile in Terra Nova. So we were on to something right. When you go in rooms, you know, is it the kids' room or is it the teacher's room? And I want to go in and I want to be the kids' room. So you're not going to find teacher desk but just this kind of flexible area that allows learning to take place and we allow um, the kids to kind of guide and lead the direction that we want to go. They wanted to ask you a very quick question. Okay, sure. You guys want to go visit the aquarium? Yes! Okay, Ms. Brown was going to find fun so that we can, the downtown aquarium, Ms. Mason? Okay, we're gonna figure out how to get to the aquarium, okay guys? Yeah. I think I, and it's I'll, recorded. I'll help out. <laughs> we'll make we're, it happen. We're gonna figure out how to get there. So this is It's me again. I got the amazing opportunity to tour the school alongside Principal Brown to really see this thinking in action and get an important lesson in hallway etiquette. Hello. Oh, Savannah's telling me. <laughs> uh, so it's be quiet in the hallway, Josh. It's just the finger. Oh, just the finger. Just the finger. Just the finger. So, yeah. If I had any question about these kids' ability to self-regulate, it was promptly shushed. But well-behaved children and the occasional trampoline aren't the only things you'll find in Harley's hallways. Outside of each classroom you'll find rows of data binders, one for each student. We start at the beginning of the year, and that's little Amari. And so she only knew five letters at the start of school. Now she's got 26 of her uppercase and 23 at her last progress monitoring. So, you know, there's learning and teaching taking place through the play, through the fun. We still do all of those things, but we track it. So you see, by October, she'd gotten it there. 
What had once simply been an A and some circles was now a beautiful handwritten name, Amari. And that's just September to October. All through the year, we're, we're tracking this kind of data. We're looking to see how the kids are doing and watching it. So it's not just, you know, yeah, it is, it is playing, but it truly is the learning through play because we're getting that data. This is the Having that data helps Principal Brown lead her students and staff to the best of her ability. But then again, so does having a sense of humor. I know you're eating. Don't, don't worry about us. <laughs> this is Busted. But this, uh, this is her lunch. Um, this is a, it's gotta like eat first... somewhere. No, they don't get to eat here. No, 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 no eating. No eating, no fun, no fun. First grade teacher Elizabeth Pizarro didn't seem phased. I still felt terrible. Luckily, she was still willing to talk with me. Um, I would say social-emotional is huge here. Like, it's, last year my class was very, they didn't get along, no cooperation, arguing, tattletaling. Here, you really don't have that at all. Like, this class is just kind of running on autopilot right now. It's because of them. They know exactly what to do. If they're upset, they know to breathe, how to stay calm. Um, we do a settle your glitter. Uh, curriculum that's really helping, so it's it's a lot different. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and, and, different. and I mean, there's I think there's a, a naturally sort of a fear of removing discipline measures as like you know tools at your disposal to deal with these things. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I was very big on a behavior chart, and so when I came here, it's like you can't. I'm like, what? How do they know they're in trouble then? Like, what do you? They're like, no, you don't do behavior charts. And I actually haven't used one at all this year. And you don't need to. You, you really don't. So I'm a believer now. You believe in it? It's amazing. <laughs> Almost a believer. <laughs> We're going to wait on her first ACP. Her ACP is coming in. I, I think that's when she'll start really being a believer when her ACP's getting. An ACP is an assessment of course performance. It's the standardized test for each grade level in the school. Most principals aren't so cheery when discussing the biggest means by which their school is evaluated. But then again, Principal Brown is not most principals. Um, we don't do common assessments each six weeks with the kiddos because they're little. <laughs> um, and, you know, we, so we'll get our first big test in December when the ACP results come in. Last year, when it was ACP time, I was like, okay, okay, guys. And I said, do we need to shut down? Do we need... And they're like, no, Ms. Brown. We've been teaching. Here's our data. We know where the kids are. They will be fine. I was like, no, 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 no. But we haven't given a test. And we must have, you know, the... Ms. Brown, here's our data. We know where the kids are. They will be ready. And they were. They were more ready, in fact, than any other school in their feeder pattern and had the test scores to show for it. I've had to learn and trust the teachers. And the teachers have, that are new here have had to learn and evolve and trust the kids. And so it's been a very interesting process of growing. The teachers call this the rehabilitation center for them because they have to shed so much of things that they thought were best practices to work here. And so it's been a very interesting process even for my new teachers. It was an even more difficult process convincing one of her most experienced colleagues to start implementing these new strategies. Her mother, the former principal of the same school. Because remember, my mom is old school. <laughs> Quite literally. 
really the old school. There was an article that came out in the paper. I think it was called This Principle's Not Normal About Me. And so when she read it, she was like, yeah, great article. Um, but uh, it makes it seem like you don't have any structure the way they say the kids walk in the halls and do. And I said, Mama, you know I have structure at the school. You know it's structured. And she said, yeah, I know. But the way it reads, it reads no structure. But this fall, she's been working at one of the uh, IR campuses this year in the intensive support network, uh, helping them out. And she she came by and she was like, hey, 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 I had this first grader and he was totally out of control. And so then I told him to, you know, do that, you know, you know, that thing you showed me. And I, I couldn't do it right. But we just had our arms in like this. And I told him to breathe and breathe. And do you know what? And I, I just knew she was going to say it didn't work. And I was like, oh, my God, she'll never listen to me again. She said, it worked. And she was so excited because it actually worked and that she actually got him calm. But the sad part was when she took him back to the room, the teacher didn't want him back because no consequence had happened to him. It's the same sort of misconception Principal Brown once held herself. But luckily for us, she wants to spread her newfound awareness beyond just her immediate family. And the community that brought Harley back from obsolescence had just that sort of education in mind. The interesting thing was the community members who wanted to build a school built it to be a demonstration center. And so uh, really believed in that. And we were like, we got to demonstrate the best practices. We got to demonstrate what what the district is doing. We got to demonstrate the district's early learning model with fidelity so that other people can see that it can work. It's probably the most exciting aspect of this amazing school story. It doesn't end with just this handful of classes. Principal Brown and her teachers are spreading the good news, and their message is clear. You want great test scores? Great. Stop teaching to the test. Start breathing. See what happens. The assessment is is kind of your show-off piece. It's your showcase. So if you're a musician, you have your recital that's at the end. And that's what the assessment is. It's the recital for all the hard work and preparation that you've done up until that point. But the problem is we've made the recital into the preparation and the hard work. So we're like, oh, well, then they have to, you know, everything that we do has to look that way. All of our questions in class have to use the question stems. And we got... Instead of letting that be the showcase. But even that wasn't as surprising to me as what I learned next. This revolutionary approach that Principal Brown had discovered was actually neither revolutionary nor a discovery. In fact, it's almost exactly as old as she is. Which is not that old, of course, I mean, it's not old at all. I just, look, my point is, Principal Brown used to be a DISD preschooler herself at the very first early education center the district ever created. And she had some very similar experiences. I remember center time. I remember rest time. I remember that whole bit. And so to me, this does remind me a lot of my hands-on experience. Now, we didn't have computers or technology, but I remember really wanting to go to the uh, to the water center or to the different centers during that day. And the seasoned early childhood educators of Dallas have come through the new Harley and have been so ecstatic because they see a return to a passion for early learning um, that we hadn't seen in a little while. That's the sad part. Not a lot of people remember it or know it. So what happened? 
Principal Brown cites the onset of testing as what shifted our focus away from the social and emotional health of our early learners. Which is ironic, considering that's exactly what has allowed her students to do so well on their own assessments. History is cyclical, and pedagogy reflects its era. There's nothing inherently wrong with the desire for measurable data that drove the standardized testing epoch we find ourselves fitfully growing out of. Commit can tell you all about just how helpful test scores can be. But the lesson of Harley is that there are ways of collecting that data that are still developmentally appropriate. Let them draw in their binders. Allow for a handwritten name to emerge. It will come quicker than you think. And if it all feels foreign to you, rest assured it takes time. But keep in mind, we've been here before. I came here not to speak of the past, nor yet the future, but of the living present. Norman W. Harley was born in 1852 in Robeson County, North Carolina. Not what we have been. He was born a slave. Nor what we shall be. To a Methodist preacher passionate about educating his fellow plantation workers. The present concerns us. He taught himself to read and write, and eventually put himself through school at Biddle University. Its conditions confront us. In 1885, he came to Dallas to teach and began an impressively active civic life. He was one of the first teachers hired for Colored Ward School Number 2. And when the Colored High School opened seven years later, he was the obvious choice for the principalship. He was the first person to have a Dallas school named for them while still living. He was also on the board of the Freedmen's Hospital, a writer for the Dallas Express, and the chair of the colored department at the Texas State Fair, the only thing that ever got him any press in the white newspapers. But most importantly for our story, N.W. Harley was passionate about instructing his fellow teachers. He served as president and secretary for the Teachers State Association of Texas, and for decades led a colored teacher's normal in different major cities across the state. Effectively, it was summer school for educators seeking to normalize their instruction to that of research-based best practices. And looking at the topics of Harley's talks, those practices were not all that different from the ones we are talking about today. One of his speeches was called Correlation in Teaching, and an outline that appeared in the morning news describes it as arguing that Primary methods must be based upon the psychology of the child, condition of child upon entering school, and physical and bodily growth. Sound familiar? Unfortunately, this speech, along with the many other lectures, curricula, and textbooks that N.W. Harley developed, no longer exists. But we do have his articles for the Dallas Express, many of which are spent lavishing praise upon the teachers who work at his school. And by piecing together parts of these writings, we can get a sense of his educational philosophy. 
and how it still reverberates through the halls of his namesake school. Today, there are those who've been thrown prone and supine by the faults of the times through which they have passed, through the house of bondage, through that other house of prolix slavery, more implacable, if possible, than chattel servitude. But the hour has struck. The day has come, bringing new duties, new responsibilities, all of which are to demand our attention. Education is of the first prerequisites that must count in the final analysis of any people. No amount of legislation can make me stand the test if we fail to educate. The schoolhouse is the greatest legislature in which we are to legislate against ignorance, against dishonesty. Then let us educate the head, heart, and hand. The day for more superficial training has passed, for the community wants the best. What education is of most value? Does it pay to prepare along special lines? Shall we have trained teachers or persons teaching till they secure something better? Shall a woman teach till she finds a husband? Or shall she teach because her soul and mind are in the work and in the direction of the children entrusted to her care? Who is a teacher, and how do we know a teacher, and who is able to tell? Is it the quiet person who gets the results in the methods of teaching? Or is it the fussy and loud teacher, clamoring for order and there is no order? What is teaching anyway? Is a teacher an artist or a scientist? The answer is... It is owing to who is doing the teaching. There is a difference in hearing recitations and that of real teaching. It pays to take time and prepare for the stern duties of life. A thing worth doing at all is worth doing well. When we consider those who are building up society, we are called to consider the efforts put forth in the education of their children and the sacrifice they are making to accomplish that purpose. The work performed in this line of art is praiseworthy. We would call it heart power, expressed in a deep knowledge of recognized principles, psychological principles, along the line of research and as events through years of experience in teaching. There is nothing new under the sun. New forms are not new creations, but new methods, or methods made over, in which we pride ourselves, the wisest and the highest cultured people that ever lived, when the prevailing facts are that we, the people of modern times, are just beginning to learn how to live, with many things to unlearn and to undo, while many things once known are perhaps forgotten. Love is not new. Gentle means will succeed where force will not. Do right though the heavens fall. We gain power by doing right. Kindness, if rightly applied, is the ruling principle in childhood and in old age. Try it if you have not. My heart overflows for the genial love for all children, regardless of race. And wherever I see a bevy of young children at play and full of sunshine and mirth, there my heart is also.
The Miseducation of Dallas County is powered by the Commit Partnership and produced by me, Joshua Kumler. It is executive produced by myself, along with John Hill and Rob Shearer. N.W. Harley text read by John Hill. Music by Trevor Yokochi. Special thanks to Principal Brown and everyone at N.W. Harley, as well as Viva Lane and everyone at the DISD Department of Psychological and Social Services. Thanks also to Swagit, the streaming video service on which you too can watch and download DISD school board meeting footage. They'll even answer and respond to support calls, which is why they're getting this shout out. As always, we've got a cited transcript of this episode up on Commit's website, commit2dallas.org. That's two like the number. We're also taking a cue from Mr. Harley and using the blog on our site to highlight the amazing work of educators across the county. So be sure to check that out once you're there. This podcast is dedicated to educators everywhere. The future is in your hands. We'll be back next month with more Miseducation. Oh, and if you want to help Miss Mason's class get to the Dallas Aquarium, you can call the school at 972-925-6500 to set up a donation. Happy holidays, everyone.